0: Hey guys, my name is Quinn Cully and this is True Product, a show that dives into the weeds of real projects with PMs from around the world. Our guest today is Shaw Lee, the product lead at Haven Life, an insure tech tool that makes it easy to get life insurance through their parent company, Mass Mutual. As usual, we'll cover a bit about the company and then dive into a recent project of Shaw's. Specifically, how they help users looking to get life insurance schedule physicals with local doctors in order to get the best rates. Some of the highlights include one the complexities of adding an offline step in an online funnel two the importance of shipping quickly and having feature flags to revert when things go wrong and lastly the importance of setting individual project visions and getting everyone aligned Uh, one last announcement i started a newsletter on substack to share new episodes and extra content that we cover in each show so head over to trueproduct.substack.com to join as always, if you have any feedback, please find us on Twitter or LinkedIn at True Product Podcast. Thanks. Enjoy. Nice. All right. Well, Shaw, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, why don't we start with this a small introduction of maybe who you are, where you're working right now?
1: Sure. So my name is Shaw Lee. I lead product and product design at Haven Life. Uh, Haven Life is an insure tech innovator. We're a, a company part of Mass control. Our key proposition, value proposition, is offering ways to get life insurance directly online. The company's been around for about five or six years or so, and I've been part of that journey for a little bit over the last three years. Great. So that's a quick highlight about me.
0: Love that. Before yeah. we jump to that project, I'd, I would actually love to just outline the typical user journey throughout Haven Life. So if you could just touch on that maybe in like five or six bullet points. Sure. So
1: most consumers, when they think about life insurance, um, time uh, time in their customer or sorry, their customer journey is typically a specific period of time. If you know, if you're typically, it's around things such as you rethink got married, you're buying a home, yeah. um, you're expecting, as an example. So this type of product fits upon there. So you typically are discovering us as part of actually that journey when you come to our website. Um, Assuming that you actually recognize that you want to actually apply for life insurance, you create an account, just as if you went to uh, any other financial institution. We're here to protect information you're giving us. You would come specifically in a apply, meaning by filling out questions about demographic and specifically what we call underwriting questions. So there's a the list of questions that you could be self answered, entering data information upon that you explicitly say uh, you want to submit that application you agree some terms and conditions and upon that part we use data that you provide along with your permission to reach out to get data from third parties we run it through kind of a, a fancy decision engine and uh, typically just lots of uh, conditions yeah. thinking about that logic and we make a decision on whether you can't qualify for life insurance and if so how much or if you can't here are some reasons on why specifically Assuming that you can, it's quite simple from there. In most cases, you enter payment information, you pick some options that you would like, and hopefully in the next three or three minutes, we generate documents for you to literally electronic sign online, and that's the end of the process. That's the happy path that we hope to provide for as many of our applicants as we can.
0: Love that, that's great to hear, great. So now that we have that bit of frame of reference, um, let's dive into the specifics project. So wherever you wanna start us off,
1: Sure. Uh, so to give some background, as, as, as you heard uh, what just a moment ago, that's the happy path. Yeah. Um, life insurance is, you know, both for me and I've learned, it's, been, it's a little bit different than many other pure, I think, software products. Um, so there's the financial component of it. There's the software experience of, of the product, itself, if you're applying for this thing online. But life insurance has existed. Um, for over 200 or 300 years, yeah. many, many years uh, before us or or myself was alive. So one of the problems in life insurance is, if you think about it, unlike um, other physical or even some digital products, the analogy I might give is the cost of goods sold, and this is a very simplified analogy, varies based on the individual's buying it. Mm-hmm. So if you were to go buy, uh, you know, you, you download an app on um, I don't know, your Google phone Google or your app stores, you know, $0.39 cents or 3 bucks 99 whatever, it's 3 bucks 99 for pretty much everybody. And the cost of that is probably nominal, but it's the same for everyone. Yep. And life insurance specifically, one of the key risks of how much we may actually pay out for providing uh, life insurance is what's called mortality, which is the likelihood of when you might die. And that actually varies from individual to individual, right? It's There's no universal. Um, we use a lot of statistics to generalize that it's a risk product, but it's, it's, not, it's not the same for every individual. Yeah. So if you think about that concept just theoretically for the moment, if you knew for a certain tomorrow uh, that you were actually going to die and we were going to pay you out a million dollars and you paid out only $10 to go buy that million dollars, that's a pretty big loss for us, as you can imagine. So... So in that problem, the key here is that we obviously use data, statistical models, but one of the biggest pieces of data that we try to estimate is your health. And in some cases, when we can't do that using data that you provided voluntarily or we've gotten from third parties, we often require a user to go take a medical exam. And that medical exam is something that's is offline. You actually have to go either have someone come to you. So we have services where people can visit your offices, your home, at the time of your convenience, or you can go to certain labs where someone actually, you know, take blood and urine samples from you. Um, as you can imagine, having a digital experience then requires a physical step. Um, can have a pretty big drop in any kind of funnel experience, right, and it has a big impact on our cost of acquisition, our, our cost of our business overall, depending on both the successes and failures of those exams. So that's kind of just a little bit more of the context. So the question to, to you know, us early on was, how do we improve our funnel for mm-hmm. people who are buying life insurance, where some portions of, of our customers need to go through that experience? and. One very simple premise, I think, for, for many of us who started that is, well, why not change the model, which is historically someone would call you as the applicant to go schedule an exam. Um, why not allow consumers to proactively choose? Uh, we do that today for, you know, if you need to go visit the DMV, if you go visit a, a doctor or even pick up deliveries or groceries yep. or go to someplace. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, for folks that are familiar with digital products, there's a lot of different kind of online schedulers. You probably do it all the time for um, if you're using Uber Eats or Seamless. It's just a calendar, pick a time, pick a date, and that's yeah. it. Um, and we wanted to give consumers that power, uh, which historically they did not have. Sounds pretty simple, right? Yeah. Um, so then let me provide that context. That's kind of the problems that we are. Let me then provide the context for, for where I was when this occurred. So when when this initiative came about and it was kind upon came to me at that time, I was actually transitioning into the head of product. So I was transitioning actually from a platform product manager role, mm-hmm. in essence, into the business product uh, product team. So this was also one of about three or four other major initiatives where we were going about at that time. In addition to that, um, I became essentially the only PM on the team. So even though I was leading a team, hopefully of other PMs, there were no other PMs. Uh, So not only was I inheriting an initiative where this product manager was kind of overseeing the initiative was transitioning to a different role. I suddenly oversaw the entire team. There was no other PMs on the team. And we had about eight developers or so all wondering, what are we gonna work on next? <laughs> on top of that, we also had a huge backlog of known issues and pretty serious production issues going on. So that was the secondary context, right? So I was a bit sure-handed. <laughs> I knew I needed to go at least go recruit somebody. I had some active, uh, pretty serious production fires of one type or another issues going wrong. And we had this initiative, which is pretty important, along with three or four other initiatives. So that was the context. Um, so I'll start out with a little bit of what I did there, right? Um, I think key takeaways for folks that may be substitutions, you just have to recognize you can't do it all. You need to say no, and you need to think about and lay out a plan of what you can and can't do. Um, so for me, very quickly, it was great initiative, but I even needed to better understand our funnel myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was inheriting that initiative from someone else. Sounds very simple, you know, even the story that I'm telling you about empowering uh, consumers to go schedule their own labs, sounds great. Uh-huh. How much did we improve? What were the success metrics that we were having? We didn't have those numbers, mm-hmm. even though we were able to articulate a story. So yeah. that became hard to understand. Did this initiative, was this the right one to go execute upon versus all the other ideas?
0: Yeah.
1: And then on top of that, we actually had, um, you know, as I mentioned, some production issues. Um, so you need to get a handle on you know the basics of your foundation, typically before you can go improve upon something else, right? Otherwise you're going to be building things on top of quicksand and, and still figuring out how to go and get yourself out of the so
0: quicksand. So did you know the drop off of that time or you're saying we didn't even know the drop off? No, didn't know the drop
1: off, yeah. knew that this was a good idea conceptually speaking mm-hmm. but had no idea what would the you know what would the benefit be what 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 improvements might i even see or how should i even measure those improvements yep. are pretty nebulous that right um sense. but but could obviously nod my head and say yeah if uh, you know i would like to schedule and pick my own times yeah. that's yeah. pretty logical i do that for all kinds of other apps why wouldn't i be able to do this here um so secondly to talk about all the all the issues i know one one saturday at that time my tech leader and i probably spent Pretty much at least half for the majority of the day, going through something like 200 tickets in the backlog of just production books. They're all just red, of all hmm. different types. Some of them just with you know a single subject item for people that used Jira said something went wrong. Others with well you know, described you know page two, three pages of details, and we had to very quickly make a decision on which ones we thought were really critical, which ones we we're going to spend even a little bit more time to try to understand and which ones we're just going to delete
0: yeah and, uh, uh, out, of, out of curiosity how many of those were stale what percentage were stale just old like all right delete mass delete.
1: yeah so i think if i was going to use the number of um I- i'm going to assume we tackled roughly only about 40 40 of those tickets in general yep. so you know at, at most 20 percent, and we we made a point to know that you know many of the ones even if they weren't stale, yeah. uh, we were going to make a conscious effort to say they're getting deleted. We're notifying everybody yeah, yeah. who I reported that, hey, you have to come back to us. We can't just
0: uh, yeah. there's no point in keeping a large
1: backlog. Things that you're not going to do.
0: There's nothing. There's nothing um, more satisfying too than like then finally going through that backlog and just like deleting stuff or like prioritizing it yeah. and coming in fresh. <laughs> Correct.
1: So we had to tackle some t- tactical issues. There were definitely a few in there that was, oh, we need to go solve that ASAP. There were definitely a whole bunch of that's nice. We'll probably get it reported again. It needs to go away. And mm-hmm. there were some, I'm sure, that was deleted it correctly, and some maybe we tackled um, maybe too early. Yep. But that was just a way for us to get a handle upon, you know, all these issues that were coming across. And then finally, um, I had to actually get a better understanding of our funnel. And so that took quite a bit of time digging through the data to understand even hypothetically on this initiative, we were to make improvements to allow people to schedule the exams better. What would a 10% improvement mean Mm -hmm. for the overall business, right? Um, We didn't have that number then, and there wasn't an easy way even for me to think about. As I talked about a a little bit of our experience, uh, a good portion of our customers are able to get life insurance directly online without the need to take a medical exam. Mm -hmm. And we support that model very much. so how do I think about whether this is the right area to spend my energy or vice versa? Could we spend our energy on simply trying to get more people, maybe with better data in some other way so that they could, they never have to experience this part. They never actually have to take a medical exam at all. So that became a very much an open question. So I needed to go dig in through some data, create some very simple Excel spreadsheets. Just understand, you know, percentages and scenarios, a 10% increase here would mean what versus yeah. a opposite 10% increase somewhere else. What would that look like? Um, and that took some time. And then lastly, um, as I inherited the kind of a team and leading a team and transition from other, I knew I needed to hire, yeah. uh, you know, I could, I could do some of this stuff myself and keep the lights on a little bit, but long term, this wasn't sustainable, both for me personally, I would eventually burn out, yeah. uh, from just this type of work and just long term, we wouldn't give focus. So that became even a priority. So fast forward three months, this initiative very quickly actually got paused. We weren't. I wasn't ready. I couldn't execute this um, along with some of the other work that we had to do. We really? had to build some foundations, we had some other initiatives that were even more important than this, and got paused. So fast forward three months here, a little bit in timing. Uh, by that time, you know, you start the new context. Fire is generally under control. Sure, we still had some parts maybe that would have problems, but it wasn't raging. I didn't have things. Uh, I didn't have to answer calls on, on weekends on what was going on <laughs> to anymore. We had a better understanding of the funnel. I can actually have some metrics and say, hey, if we were to tackle this problem, what did that mean? What's the percentage of actually our applicant pools that are going to have experiences today? Yeah. And even if we made some just back of the envelope guesses, if we were to reduce that by 5%, what did that mean? Could yeah. we easily reduce the pool for this of this cohort by 5% or not? Um, so I had a pretty good understanding of that, was able to kind of better articulate, not only is this a, something I value personally, yeah. Yeah, I want to give consumers the, the experience so they can schedule their own exams, um, but I think it also actually made business sense.
0: And just, um, sorry, just and, curious, um, did you guys spin up this time, uh, any types of dashboard to look at this stuff on a weekly basis or just like to, to get a better baseline? Uh, yeah, kind of, we did. Yeah, the meta questions there are like, uh, do, you have, do you have help from a data team were things organized um, in the sense that you can pull from a warehouse or anything else just to be able to not have to either pull the queries yourself or put them into Excel just to look at it? Exactly.
1: So just to give a little bit more context
0: there, we did. We had, at the time
1: when I first started, lots of uh, we call it Excel sheets, just you know Google sheets <laughs> spreading all over the place, right? Some number of something trying to make sense. Um, But very quickly was able to create, we did have a a data analyst team, a a small data science team to create kind of an ongoing dashboard to measure our funnel. The biggest part that was most effective wasn't actually the getting the dashboard up, that went pretty quick, but agreeing upon the key stages in terminology. That's huge. Right. Um, When you don't have people who agree upon when, you know, engineering says A, but marketing think it's B, and the product says, I don't really know. things should be D you're going to have four versions of your funnel yeah. slightly measuring slightly different stages and you're not going to be able to come together and actually have that conversation yeah um so, so we spent a little bit of time uh, i would say actually the data analyst team specifically spent time documenting defining the stages defining what they mean where are the cutoffs and while and i would say you know my tips for other people who are going through this no, aim for eighty percent. Don't aim for perfection. Yep. There are definitely stages that I thought I might, I might define them differently. I might call them slightly something else. I think maybe A to C is better than A to B to C in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, let that go. Yeah. Right? Uh, don't don't fight that battle. Don't die on that wall. Pick <laughs> some other ones you're going to die upon. Um, so that really helped us to be able to have both weekly and monthly meetings much more effectively because we agreed upon know where one stage conversion to the next stage conversion point where they are and be able to break apart our business as well.
0: that makes sense um,
1: so again fast forward about uh, three months or so by this point in time um, able to actually bring this thing back on back up um, and also by this point in time you know separate from actually the development side of the world which we could focus on something else um, like this in, in the meantime product design was able to actually refine both the mocks and what the interaction experience was. Nice. So we didn't go into development oftentimes with all I got is a rough wireframe. And I know if I click on this button, something needs to happen, but we had actual interactions that made it easier for our front end uh, developers to actually focus on developing and less focusing upon, you know, the design aspects because design didn't have the time. Yeah. So at this point in time, hopefully, if, if you're listening to the story, you're probably thinking this all sounds great, mm-hmm. right? You've got a team finally organized. I've now brought on a PM, so I've got someone hired. I'm not burning up my Saturdays and Sundays. We don't have production issues going on where I have to be on calls on, on the weekends. And we have a roadmap and we actually have some numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I paint this part, things sounds really well. Um, so what happened you know if if i'm jumping into my story ultimately we we did shut down this feature that we actually spent time building so i'm going to kind of share a little bit of two things i've learned um one is you know as both as a manager managing other pms um especially in this case where i had to transition the execution part of our project when you transition a project you have to think about not just transitioning the knowledge but also transitioning the vision Mm -hmm. which is much more difficult than knowledge and then the second part later, as I tell the story, you will hear me talk about the difference between trusting what a vendor does and then being able to actually implement what a vendor says they do. So you will get to that part of the second story. So let's get to a problem. You know, by, by this point in time in my role, um, I'm able to kind of say, hey, I think we got a vision set out. We have designs, they tell the end user journey, they look great. Um, in, in this specific implementation, we use obviously third parties to, that we work with to actually facilitate our paramedical exam schedule. Yeah. We don't have employers ourselves, obviously, who are, who are licensed doctors to take blood and urine samples. And so, uh, we've actually had conversations, I've had conversations working with third parties, looking at the API documents themselves and saying, hey, this thing actually can, can get done. So we built it. We built a very simple, you know, if you've ever scheduled for anything, you get to a point where we say, I'm sorry, you have to actually go take an exam, Would you be interested in. And the customer can look up and enter their address, look for a doctor's offices that are close to them that are part of our network. We're mm-hmm. to schedule a time for actually someone to come to you, pick a time that's convenient and so on. Uh, we launched it, and right away problems occurred. Um, and you launched? It, did you launch occurred, it to everybody? Yeah, we actually picked some very specific states. Yeah. Um, so just a, maybe it wasn't it wasn't to everyone, but it wasn't because you couldn't. Uh, if we could have launched it to everyone, we would have probably done it all out. Yep. Um, it wasn't. We don't think about it as kind of A, a B testing that way because we don't yeah. have a huge huge, huge cohort, yeah. uh, this isn't, you know, uh, Google Maps is an example. Yeah. Um, so if we actually picked a very small cohort, as an example, the the, t- the further time it would take for us to figure out whether something was working or not, would even be longer. Yeah, because so. only a small percentage of our customers get this experience, a further small percentage of our customers need to actually schedule. So then, you know, that would be longer the time for you to learn.
0: What is what would trigger at a high level, what would trigger me to need this? Is it an age? Is it a, something else I put into the form?
1: yeah i i actually can't say that
0: specifically as <laughs> no, no part of
1: the uh, as part of the rules we're into the underwriting yeah. um there are various factors yeah. um depending upon how you answer the questions and some information that we get from third parties that may make us think that you're more risky than others. Uh-huh, okay. and, in, and in some cases, actually we do control tests. Yep. Um, so even if you're healthy and our models actually thinks that you're healthy, we actually sometimes take control groups and we still ask them to go complete the, the bare medical exams because we actually need to see whether our data and our models are working correctly based on real data. Very cool. Yeah, so um, you know, back jumping back a little bit to that part of the story, um, so we launched it, and right away, I said problems occurred. One of the biggest problems uh, that occurred is you know, users were kind of getting confused. They were getting called sometimes, saying, "Hey, your exam is scheduled at a time when they didn't think they were scheduled." Hmm. Um, some of them were still getting called in the in the traditional way. So before this feature launched, people would call you yep. if you need an exam and say, "You know, what day would you like?" And so customers were kind of confused. I thought I scheduled already. So overlap, yeah, the, the, yeah the, the paramedical exam themselves says I don't see anything in our system that says you're scheduled. Um, so those are causing confusion obviously both to, to consumers and consumers and our own customer service came for a bit lost as well. What's going on?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we had to quickly investigate. Now we, uh, we investigated we put in some fixes and what we quickly and here's where the, the problems is actually kind of in, in the, in the stories that I talk about transitioning at that time, I was very much focused on the execution part. So what do the tactical little building blocks need to be mm-hmm. here's what the API should do. Here's how we should send everything along the way. And in, in that one of the things I didn't focus as much time is transitioning what I call the vision of this product and the vision here along the way is really allowing individuals to scare, schedule their medical exams as early as possible mm-hmm. that sounds very simple uh, and it's kind of maybe obvious to some but behind the scenes um a little bit into more detail the way our third party works in this case they need actually two pieces of data and their systems are bit. Uh, there's two different systems one is responsible for scheduling paramedical exams mm-hmm. that's the thing you think about is the scheduling system another system is responsible for what's called lab ordering which is once you've completed the exam different kind of laboratory tests uh-huh. upon the blood and urine sample. Yep. Those two ultimately need to match up, yeah. right? So, you know, if someone took their, their blood, then you need to tell somebody else who's gonna run the test, what kind of test to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and our vendor that we're working have two different systems. Those systems often were not able to talk to each other as well as we had hoped or even as they had hoped and so in transitioning that that logic to uh my direct report a big part of my focus was just focus on the paramedical schedule Mm -hmm. right um and that's kind of what we did we we got it scheduled we sent notifications to our third parties Mm -hmm. sometimes they worked sometimes maybe didn't that's a little bit technical but because we didn't actually focus upon the end picture of getting these two pieces to talk to each other That's where kind of misconnects were occurring. Some parts of our system were often sometimes saying, hey, I saw a lab order get ordered, but I don't see their paramedical exam. What's going on there? And And in other cases.
0: Sorry, what was the um, before this whole thing started? How was that carried out? How did somebody like a phone call and then tied to a record?
1: Yeah. So uh, the way the, 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 this world works, because, again, life insurance has existed for a long time, typically it's actually the opposite. It was a sequential set of tasks. Mm-hmm. It was not to be done in parallel. Mm-hmm. So historically, the way this work is someone orders a lab and after triggering the lab order, they would then go call out ah, for the paramedical okay. exam. Right. Now, who would trigger the lab? we would typically trigger the lab in this case we're actually asking for our vendor to some degree to say don't worry about which one gets triggered first yeah. just match it along the way yeah. and we could pass you ids to go match it what's the difference if someone was to schedule an exam you would know that probably a lab's coming up if we specifically requested the lab and the ex- and paramedical exam wasn't there then you need to go figure out how to go schedule the exam of work side by side again fairly conceptual logic that was kind of in the vision of what I what I was trying to push for. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the pieces that was really missing um, when I transitioned that to to obviously one of the PMs were actually responsible for executing upon it. So, you know, that person did what they were supposed to do. They focused very much upon the detail execution. And mm-hmm. so what really occurred, and the funny part is, from this looking in hindsight, you know, the more we try to fix the system, uh, in in um, without going into all the details of fixes, the actually the worse we made the situation. Really, um, so, the, so the more that we actually did to get the paramedical exam scheduled, and the faster actually the system worked along the way, the more that our vendor systems were having trouble matching these two things together because they were unused to getting why is there a paramedical exam but suddenly there's no lab order. This feels very odd. Uh, what happened, and so they were actually having all kinds of problems on the back end calling us to say, well, what's going on? In addition to the customer experiences that we were facing, uh, obviously with people who were confused on why their labs wasn't getting ordered or why they weren't scheduled at the right time, etc. So that's kind of what I would call, you know, just Option one and this is typically already on top of the problem view Just think about for the moment because we provide services to the entire continent of the United States for you to go Take a you know, what's called a paramedical exam in any state. There's a huge range of where you might be You could be currently here in New York City where if you know, there are maybe many providers and many laboratories within walking distance mm-hmm. you could be in Montana Where, obviously, the geographic distances of individuals to labs or to other facility providers are fairly large. Um, So, you know, this was actually on top of those kind of problems that we were trying to solve, uh, where we had to figure out how to go limit optionality. Um, You know, one one joke that we said during development was, in some places, the closest doctor that you might be able to see was like 2,000 miles away. Do you really want a person to schedule a paramedical exam or some any kind of exam where they may have to drive 2,000 miles or vice versa, the doctor has to drive 2,000 miles to you? What does that surface fundamentally look like? Um, but then, you know if that's problem one, which is simply just how I thought about at the time very much what execution means and how failure to transition with the broader vision of knowledge mm-hmm. may result in someone who's brand new, who wasn't here from the beginning to be able to execute, then I would talk about a little bit on, there's the second part, which is um, our discussion with our vendor. Um, for this service to work, right, for offline service to work, we're highly actually dependent upon our vendor, um, both our vendor's networks as I talk about, right? Mm-hmm. So this problem where if you're in Montana and there aren't that many providers, there isn't many things that we can't do, and there's also a high cost, even what our vendors can do from a viable business perspective. Yeah. But then, secondly, it's really what does the technology look like? And so, for an industry like ours that's been around for a long time, um, where there are defined processes, sometimes things as simply as making that change is not just a technical change, but also a change of people's vision of what can be accomplished. And if you don't do that well, uh, you can get a lot of head nodding, yeah, this will work. <laughs> but then you'll find out at the end that this doesn't. So, you know, I, I always look back and say, we had many conversations with uh, with our vendors. Specifically, at this point time, we had early on assurances that yeah, they should be able to have their two systems talk to each other. Yeah, and it was only upon uh, us being the first to go try that for them to say, well, yeah, it wasn't as easy as I thought. We've uh, we're running some serious problems. Can you go stop this? <laughs> Can you stop causing the problems and pain points of our system It's really causing issues down the and,
0: and this this is one of my favorite things like about being a product manager is like is having those conversations in early stages and like and no, taking everything with a grain of salt of knowing like even though someone's sitting there like shaking their head and saying yes like trying to figure out like all right, how could this actually break so if you were to go backwards and like have those conversations again what questions would you ask or what maybe would you do to to, to kind of, like snuff that out
1: Yeah. So I actually think that some of the things that uh, people typically might say, even like, you know, in reflection hindsight, which is, why didn't you build something to test? You know, how, how, why didn't you test this kind of thing during um, your testing environments Mm -hmm. or uh, your staging environments? Why didn't you run a pilot? Um, I agree. Those are all good ideas. But let me give some further context that I think is an indication that I would think about these kind of projects different in the future. Um, our vendor had limitations and like some, some vendors may have on thinking about separation between production and testing environments. Mm-hmm. They're not used to maybe some of the more commonly available where we can perform these kind of tests. They recognize and they themselves actually okay with the fact that we were going to go into production with some of these areas not fully tested. And the way they wanted to test this was actually was with, with our end consumers. <laughs> Love that. And they were okay with it. Um, so, uh, so, so I think about it nowadays less as a could you do a pilot or could you run, this essentially was our version of a pilot, but more as a point of view on how you might evaluate where you're pushing your vendor relationships to mm-hmm. and fundamentally if you're okay with that. Um, I actually probably would reduce the, convers- the number of conversations we've had. Really? Yeah, I would actually probably reduce that if if I was knowing it with how many conversations that I've had and ultimately where we ended up to, I would have actually now said it would probably be faster just for us to go build it, find out that's a problem. Yeah, quicker. Quicker, rather than spending more energy and time trying to prevent that problem because I think it's it's almost like you can't prevent it. You need sometimes to have individuals in those organizations see that something you know, that they thought was A, but doesn't really happen um, until you've actually put it into production. It's kind of a different kind of a way.
0: That, yeah, that like, I don't know if you'd call it the 80-20 rule, but like that balance of a PM of saying like, hey, yeah, like you could spend a lot of time trying to figure out the edge cases beforehand, like, or you could just go for speed and know that like, hey, you're going to miss stuff and that's fine, but just go as quickly as possible.
1: Correct. And so one of the things I can, as a small silver lining, for these features that we did launch, we did build in very simple ways for them to be turned off. So we did mm-hmm. think about in the event very, very early on. And, and this was more by luck than anything else. We knew, as I mentioned earlier, in some locations, geographic locations, even if there was availability for someone to schedule and the system was working well, we don't think it would make sense for us to go show that experience. Yeah. Um, like, like in the Montana analogy. Yeah, so yeah. there are certain states and certain years, we have a different solution for that. So because of that, we anticipated more of things, issues such as um, what if our vendor failed? What if the API system went down entirely? Mm-hmm. What, how do we handle that experience for yeah. the end user? And as a result, turning off this feature, conceptually speaking, while my personally heartbreaking, was actually pretty easy for our system yeah. and for our engineers to kind of implement. It was yeah. a you no know, brainer, uh, we did it like literally in 15, 30 minutes when we just made that decision. Yeah. Was it wasn't a big issue to really think about what does that mean. Um, so that allowed us in that to go roll out this feature, turn off the feature, implement a fix, roll it out, turn off in that way very quickly. Um, and I still think that that was probably the benefit more. I don't think that having more conversations in yeah. this case would have really solved that problem earlier.
0: Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Um, anything else we should know about the project?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I, um, I'm i very fond of, fond about it personally. Yeah. I do think that we want to go, we are anticipating somewhere as our vendor now sees the problem. They've actually as a result this are making further changes on their side. Mm-hmm. And at some point in time in the future, uh, a little bit TBD on when, but even this might be more applicable to some degree given our current time with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking to bring this feature back online. So there will be a, you know, the trial, too, yeah, yeah. at least at this initial point in time. So, you know, if I ever get back onto this podcast, I might need <laughs> to tell you whether it was successful the second time to go around versus the first, right? Um, and I, in, in in the end, I am still very bullish on where those will go. I do ultimately think that some part of this is simply a timing matter, um, both in technology and the services, but the end vision where consumers have the ability to empower themselves mm-hmm. to schedule their own exams at their convenience, at their time. Um, That's where we want to go, and I think it's only a matter of time until we get there.
0: Very, very cool. Well, that was amazing. Thank you very much for walking through everything. I really, really love one, like highlighting the actual failures and highlighting stuff that actually goes wrong. It's such a real thing that happens every day. And, and just that that's a great kind of like fresh perspective to say, like, hey, yes, it would have been great to like hindsight 2020 and like maybe figure out one or two things, but the time you would have spent to actually find those rabbit holes would have been way too much. And it's better just to get something out there as quick as possible and know that, hey, if things go really wrong, we can just revert very quickly. Um, that's right perfect alright so let's follow up with just some last few questions Um, first one uh, do you have any questions that you would want to ask other PMs out there Uh, other PMs in general um
1: well, I'm, I'm currently working on a personal project. So I'm going through the process of uh, interviewing different PMs in New York City. So I, I guess my personal question would be a little bit more for myself. If you happen to be a PM in New York City, um, who are working at a, at a company with less than 5 PMs and actually are interested in being interviewed for my personal project, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to spend an hour interviewing you and talking about the challenges in your career um, and, you know, especially if you have two or three more years of working experience and that, what that looks like, I'm very interested in that. I do think specifically that while there's the GAs, the product schools, the you know, product management for dummies, how to crack, crack the product management interview are great for people who are going into product management. Mm-hmm. For individuals after the three-year markets, they continue to navigate their careers. There's a lot of articles on Medium and Everywhere but I don't yet see a cohesive roadmap, and maybe there isn't a roadmap yet. Mm. Um, but I think that the, the role of product managers are becoming more refined and more defined over time, and I want to go see if there's an opportunity to go help PMs there.
0: Yeah, I, I do love this um, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, we spoke earlier about this. Um, but again, if you're a PM out there that has some experience uh, and is looking to chat with y'all, definitely do it. Um, because something like this, I think, should exist. Um, just just for a little bit more structure in kind of the product management career would be great. Um, nice. Um, second, what is your favorite source of content for improving as a PM? So it kind of relates back to that.
1: Ooh. Oh, um, I guess uh, of all the
0: things that I've read
1: that I still kind of go back to every now and then as a refresher is probably marty kagan's book that's quite famous now mm-hmm. so that's probably my, um you know if you haven't read it and, and you keep, you're just hearing his name for the first time uh maybe one day he can uh, give me some royalty for for this plug <laughs> for him but uh, you can just go on amazon look for it i've taken the course by him that he's run specifically i've seen i've read his book and i do think that even even for me every now and then it's a great refresher Um, I currently write on Substack specifically. I try to coalesce some tactical executions. Mm -hmm. Um, Beyond that, I think the two things that are more helpful are probably product manual. You can see some very cool assets very quickly. If you know how to use them, that's probably very helpful.
0: Nice. Um, And then what is Substack? I believe I've poked around a little bit, but...
1: Yeah, Substack is just a uh, it's just a, a place where people kind of write. You can think about it as email lists um, that's you know in a in a blog post form. Um so uh, if you ever want to see my writings, I go to just go to shahsatwali.substack.com.
0: Very cool. Um, that's a nice one. Um all right. Let's see. Um one lesson you would give early PMs from your experience or maybe your past self when you were just starting out.
1: Gosh, that's a tough one too. Um I think now, most recently, I've been, I've been telling uh, more junior PMs to think about time differently. Um, I think in product management, especially if you work in technology um, and you're working at a startup, it's about, you know, how quickly can you fail, right? Mm-hmm. This an example I was giving. How quickly can you learn? So the concept that, and I can see this in myself, that you've been in a role or in an industry, for two years is like a lifetime yeah um and so that concept of time just is it's very hard to think about early on your career what a decade long time at a company or in a role Mm -hmm. will even mean yeah and and i think it's just hard when you're younger especially in your career just in age in general and i would and i say this even to myself a bit to think about time slightly differently in at least half-decade markers, mm-hmm. um, because the time it takes to perfect anything takes a really long time. And I think about myself when I'm young, when I was younger, and saying, "Hey, I'm so great! I, you know, look at all the <laughs> things that I've accomplished and all the things that I've learned." And now I often think about it that as, "Gosh, I was just in the beginning <laughs> of that journey, literally in the beginning. Like I've taken half a step." if anything else. Um, so that's, I think, the, the thing that I think about early upon. And the way I would try to advise myself if I was younger for early PM, because uh, asking someone, let's say in, in their early 20s or 30s, think about time in decades is just not possible. I don't think I, I would be able to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would actually ask you to do is think about things that you committed and reflect upon that took you more than two or three years to get good at. Yeah. Um, In your career in product management, if you recognize that those things took longer times and journeys, and you can just recall that, that's part of the aspects of in the beginning of your journey as Mm -hmm. well. So that gives you a different set of perspectives.
0: Nice. That definitely makes sense. Um, All right. And then last question. Uh, It's a new one. So I'm going to put you on the top. But uh, is there any ways in which you think I could improve this podcast, whether it's everything from distribution to the content itself?
1: Uh, my uh, this is entire podcast are
0: entirely outside of
1: of area, area of domain. Um, but I think of sound bites, ah. um, for whatever reason, a podcast. And so I think about ways to distribute, um, just like you know, Twitter is in well, I don't know how many characters down, I think it's a longer than 140 characters, but I think about it as. What are ways to actually condense some part into certain sound bites of learnings, and then that way as as a almost like a sneak peek into the story of that you might tell in anyone. That's, so how so, would someone do you know like say no different than I think about emails that I write on Substack? Oftentimes yeah. you have a small subtext that says, "Hey, this is there a way to play a." 30 seconds, one minute soundbite of the most interesting things to get interest. That's something I thought.
0: I, I definitely like that idea. I've, I've already had some feedback that like people love hearing like, oh, like at the start of the podcast, kind of list the highlights so we know what to expect. But being able to rip them out and actually use them elsewhere as just like either smaller little bites or anything, definitely bit, because like right now we're at like 46 minutes or something. And I understand that that's a lot for someone to listen to. So if you can break that up maybe into two or three minute little bite size things could go a long way. I love that idea. Um, perfect. All right. Well, that is it. Thank you very, very much for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Of course. I'm uh, happy to help and uh, happy to actually tell a little bit of my stories along the way. So thank you very much ben, for having me
0: here. Of course. Enjoy the, uh, the quarantine. Yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> you too as well.